here for today's ceremonial first kick. Yes, I said first kick. Please welcome legendary Mexican footballer Hugo Sanchez, considered the best Mexican player ever. Sanchez was the top scorer in Spain's La Liga for five seasons and was named one of Real Madrid's 11 all-time greatest players. Americas. Turn to Baseball Americas on this Monday here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Her what did we just see there? Hugo Sanchez, not a first pitch, a first kick just outside. I think that was a ball, yeah? Nah, oh, come on, man. I, I try that right now, I'll probably break my hip. Hugo did, mm. Hugo did well enough, well enough. That's the most excitement that that park's seen in a while. So let's, uh, let's give it to Hugo right there. Hugo okay. Sanchez. Hey, uh, okay. by the way, I will yes. add, uh, Mal Pedrosa, we did this in Aranunca as well, and he said, I guarantee you, Hugo said, I am not throwing a ball with my hand. I will kick one. <laughs> no surprise there that uh, Hugo Sanchez was calling his own shots. What do you got on there, tracksuit? Looks, uh, looks pretty cool. No, it doesn't look. It is cool. This is straight dripping. This mm -hmm. is actually La Ramera Oficial. This is one of the uh, little things for, this is Jamaica's. Okay, now the cool thing about this jacket is it's reversible. Like it's dripping on this side, but it's also dripping on the other wow. side as well. It's a reversible, and then you can see my friends, Jamaica, Jamaica! I got you, Andre. Beautiful stuff there. Uh, happy belated birthday to our friend and uh, Jamaican, Alexis Nunes. Oh! Who, of course, that helps us out a lot on this show. It was like a month show. and a half ago, but... Oh, well, sorry. Better late than ever here on Football America. Uh, we got lots coming up in this show. Part two of our interview, Herc, with uh, Clint Dempsey, your former teammate. We'll catch up on what happened with the U.S. at the Under-20 World Cup. We've been following the uh, young Americans there. And more on Messi to Miami, although there might be a hitch in those plans, Herc. So uh, uh, yeah, we'll get to all don't, that. Don't, don't do that. I, I see what you're doing here. You asked me what I'm wearing, and you're going to try to deflect I, it. You're wearing an MLS. Well, what, you, what is you? What is you I, wearing? I'm, I'm wearing the Rob Lowe generic MLS jacket on top. Shout out to our good friends at MLS uh, front offices for sending me some gear. But really what I'm wearing here is my beautiful Annapolis Blues kit. Annapolis... For those of you that don't know, uh, about 30, 45 minutes from D.C., they're in the NPSL there, the National Premier Soccer League. Played their first ever home game, Herc, this weekend. Over 8,000 fans in attendance. So, I've seen uh, a few good men. I know where it is. Shout out, yes, shout out to our, uh, our friends in Annapolis. All right, let's get, start, uh, get this show started. CONCACAF Champions League, second leg, LAFC and Leon. On uh, Sunday night, and Herc, all the stars out Oh, hi, Nick, me and Dr. Dre! You were in attendance, too. Uh, that's what I meant. Second oh, no. minute. Chance for LAFC. Dennis Boanga. Can't oh, finish. Oh, no. 17 goals this season. Six assists, and you missed that one. 20th minute. Leon gets their goal. Lucas Diorio somehow scuffles it across the line. John McCarthy. The through ball. I mean, he's, he's in all alone. Erlon can't get there. And then, oh, John McCarthy. Just before the half. Free kick, Carlos Vela. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. It, it was that type of night. That type of night for Carlos Vela. Leon up 1-0 into the second half. William Tessio, chance to make it two. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, across the face, a goal right here. You would have thought it would have somehow found its way in. It did not. Later second half, huge moment. Carlos Vela subbed off with a half hour to play in LAFC needing multiple goals. Big decision there for Steve Chirundolo 
the manager. A few minutes later, LAFC would seemingly, with Vela on the bench, come to life. 65th minute. Deflection going to fall to Aaron Long. Doesn't miss by much. Doesn't miss by much, but this will be his at last action, excuse me, of this match. Comes out injured. Look at that. He's bleeding. He will come out. LAFC pouring forward. Remember, they need two. Apoku, big save, Rodolfo Cota. I'm not exaggerating when I say that Rodolfo Cota is the best keeper at coming out in all of North America. Chicano, mm. there are no better keepers. Frustration in the City of Angels for Steve Chirundolo as Leon wins 1-0, 3-1 on aggregate. And with it, they make history. Leon claiming their first ever CONCACAF Champions League title. Afterwards, Steve Chirundolo, the LAFC manager, lamenting his team's defeat. I'll start just congratulating Leon on winning the Champions League. Um, I think um, we got beat by a very good team. Um, I think if you look at the 180 minutes we played, um, they deserve to win. And so hats off to them and congratulations. Uh, I think they um, had the right answers over two matches and uh, we came up short. Well, I think, I think the fact that we have to face as an MLS team um, in the tournaments like this, if you want to consistently compete in finals and, and, and win these, uh, you're going to have to rethink your roster rules and regulations. Um, you're at a big disadvantage. Um, there's plenty, there's a little more money on the other side of the table. And uh, money in this game buys quality players. And I think we have a good enough team to win this tournament. Um, but I think with our scheduling and all the competitions this year, uh, we had a lot going on. And um, we, we, we ended up in the final, not at our best moment. And uh, roster building is about that. And having deeper rosters and more players, quality players on your team will allow you to extend those periods of, of, of play. And uh, every MLS team is at a disadvantage there. Steve Tarundolo talking cap restrictions after LAFC's CCL final defeat. Herc, should he get lost? Yes. And you know I love me some Steve Chirundolo. I respect him very much. And he's not wrong in his general sentiment. Mm -hmm. Down the line, like in the future, yes, you need to loosen a lot of these mechanisms, these roster restrictions that you yourself impose. Nobody, there's no obligation. You do it. The league does it to themselves if you want to consistently be competitive, consistently win this tournament. But maybe Rousseau Lake, maybe the Colorado Rapids would have needed that excuse mm. versus Leon. Not LAFC, my friends. That's not why LAFC lost to Leon. Yes, he's right. Money does give you more talent, but it's how you spend the money. LAFC is worth more than Leon. That's a fact. LAFC was the best representation that Major League Soccer could have had in this event versus a team that was fifth place in the Mexican League. A team... That was outed, bounced in the very first round against San Luis at home in abysmal fashion. You lost to that team. You were outcoached by that team. Leon was a better team over the 180 minutes. That simple. LAFC, quite simply, fracaso. The worst possible moment to lay a goose egg. The worst possible moment to showcase what you can't do. And there it was. That's why you lost this match. Not because of the roster rules, not because of the regulations, not because of the mechanisms, not because you don't have any money. That's why. I understand the general sentiment. Sure, it would have been nice to keep Chicho Arango. You couldn't because you would have to make him a DP. You chose not to. You still have an open DP spot. You chose not to. He leaves. Yes, Maxime Capo breaks his leg in the final of MLS Cup. 
You chose not to bring in another go goalkeeper. You gave the opportunity to John McCarthy, and he responded in leg one. Made a significant mistake in leg two. Mm. It happens. Look, I'm thinking about Leon, man. They're not anywhere near the biggest spenders in Mexico. So if Steve Gerundolo wants to play this card, he's, he's kind of out of his depth right there. Beyond that, to your point, he is not wrong, but this is definitely the wrong time because it sounds like excuse making. And beyond that, Herc, it feels a little bit like deflecting from his mistakes very specifically. And what I want to know from your perspective, because you were there, you were covering it for ESPN, you saw it live, is what did you think of Tarundalo's approach? Because we saw him do something with LAFC that we have not seen them do a lot before, usually in a back four, this time in a back five. Herc, there's countless examples of managers who try to do something that they've not done a lot in a big spot, and it fails. And to me, when I hear Tarundalo talking about salary cap before he talks about his lineup choice, it's deflection to me. Yeah, well, he mentions that Leon were the better team, and he doesn't deflect off that. Yeah, he but gives, he doesn't. But he, he doesn't, doesn't say that it's because of his formation. He says it's because well, of the salary cap. Yeah, I don't know many coaches that are going to say it's because of my formation, but it, it really was, and it, not just like two. Uh, the whole mm -hmm. 180 minutes. I, I spoke to players. I spoke to people in the organization on both sides before the game. Uh, the LAFC uh, organization will tell you that playing in Leon, it was a very heavy field, and they've never played like that, that bad. And then it's mm. something they had to get out of their system. They got it out, and it would be better in the second leg. You talk to the people in Leon, they will tell you how uh, all, all the different things they experience, and we'll, we'll get into that. But this is a fracaso any way you want to slice it, and specifically the second leg. Mm. I mean, the stars didn't show up. Number one, they, they didn't come out. Say what you want about tactics. Say what you want about formation. Say what you want about whatever the coach may do. Your biggest players have to respond. In a city of stars, Los Angeles, the city of stars, your playmakers were nowhere to be found. Denny Bowanga had a golden opportunity in minute two. The easiest of the finishes that he would have had in his potential 18 goals. He had 17. It would have been goal number 18. And I guarantee you it would have been the easiest. He missed it. Carlos Vela was nowhere to be found, not only in leg two, but in the first leg as well. And Seb, I recall you saying, and you had an altercation with Bob Bradley mm -hmm. that throughout his career, there have been questions about his big game performances. That is another question mark right there. Chiellini, Chiellini had not played in months. And you put him in a back line of three after not playing in months, and he couldn't go more than that. He comes out at half. Ilie Sanchez and Kellen Acosta were outmanned, outmatched. Like Kellen Acosta, who was injured heading into this, those mm -hmm. two couldn't do anything. They were chasing shadows. They were a shell of their former selves. And then you're playing a formation. You're playing with personnel that's not used to it in a must-win game, and the pressure just ate you up. And C. Torundolo is part of that. He was, was outcoached by Larcamon. It's also an abandonment from Torundolo's point of your principles, right? That's not what LAFC is. You're not a team that at home should be mirroring what the opposition does. You rattle off a bunch of guys that didn't play well. I have to think that a lot of that hurt uh, is down to the setup. I do want to focus on Carlos Vela, though, because as you said, one time I got yelled at for asking about his performance uh, in a big game. And this is another one, Herc, where I don't think you just say Carlos Vela was invisible. He was bad in this game. In the first half, he messed up multiple LAFC attacks with poor touches. And when he came off in the second half, that's actually when they got more dangerous. Think of the decision that Tarundolo has to make. His team needs multiple goals in the second leg of a final in a title that they are desperately chasing. And he takes his DP top guy off thinking that that's going to get you more goals. That's an indication of how bad Vela was, Herc, on the night.
not just on the night, Seb. He wasn't good in the series. He didn't play well. He was very limited uh, in the first leg in Leon, in Guanajuato. It wasn't the same Carlos Vela that we're used to. Are we now, seeing the end, Herc? Are we seeing the end? He's 34 years old. No, Last Seb, year of his contract at LAFC. Links playing... back to Liga MX and Chivas now. Is this the end of Carlos Vela in MLS? I don't know if it's the end of Carlos Vela in MLS, but it's certainly mm -hmm. not the end of Carlos Vela. Carlos Vela's playing some of the best football he's played in the last three years. The numbers indicate that. The first... is, that what, is that who you saw on the field last night? No. No, I am telling you, he didn't show up for the big game. He looked game. every bit of 34. He looked Seb, every bit of 34. You asked me if he's done. I don't mm. think he's done. I think he didn't play well in a big moment, okay, which is the final. But he's playing some of the best football that he's played this year in the last three years because this, out of those three years, only last year was he healthy. And he's already outproducing his, his, his input from last year. That's just numbers. Take a look at it. Seven, seven goals, six assists. It's just he laid an egg in this final. And it's mm. not the first time. Carlos Vela looks slowed. He looks slow physically. He looks slow mentally. He looked frustrated. And Mauricio Pedrosa, my co-host on Auro Nunca, he said something yesterday when we were there. We were, we were watching the game together, and as Carlos Vela came out, he said something, and it made me think, like, wow, he's absolutely right. When Carlos Vela comes off, and we've seen Carlos Vela come off, mm. he comes off angry. How dare you take me out? He comes off giving the coach a snarl, a look. He's disgusted that he's out of the game. He looked relieved that he was out of the game. Wow. Wow. Interesting to see what happens with him in Los Angeles, because as I said, his contract ends uh, after this season with LAFC. Herc, let's go big picture, because last year when Seattle Sounders beat Pumas, people read into that result a lot as far as what it meant for the rivalry between MLS and Liga MX. So then what does this result, Leon beating LAFC, tell us about the state of the rivalry now? Wow, that's a loaded question because I mentioned it. If Major League Soccer could pick one team, the majority would say send LAFC. They're in a good moment, the reigning champion, star power, dynamic, fast, young coach. Uh, they take opportunities, take chances, all that good stuff. Nobody would have picked Leon. That's a reality. You would have said, give me Monterrey, give me America, mm -hmm. give me the Champions Tigres, give me Pachuca, uh, teams like that. And then maybe somewhere down the line, 6th, 7th, you probably would have got into Leon, and Leon thoroughly outplays LAFC. I don't think it's an indication that the domination's as big as you think, but the numbers are glaring, and they're hard to ignore. It's not a, just a sample size, Seb, because you could say what happened, Pumas wasn't a direct reflection of Mexican football. I think what we saw in these 180 minutes aren't a direct reflection of Major League Soccer and the advancements. Mm. But until you're consistently winning this, it's a non-argument because the cold hard facts are there. They've won once in the last 18. So I can sit here and tell you, hey, I don't think it's that wide, that difference, that gap, but the numbers are glaring. Yeah, I think what we learned is that last year is more exception to the rule yeah. as opposed to being the beginning of a change to the rule, which is what a lot of people thought. And if you look back at last year, yes, LAFC is probably who most people would pick to send this year. But last year, a lot of people probably would have picked Seattle, right? That's kind of the flagship franchise of MLS. And when we think of what has happened to Pumas in the 12 months since, I mean, this is in no way the best reflection of Mexican soccer. So them making a final, for me, is a little bit of a fluke. And then it, it, it has a big factor in why Seattle ends up winning full credit to the Sounders. Oh, uh, the Sounders didn't make playoffs but, last year, if you recall that. Yeah, but I think that has a lot to do with what happens in CONCACAF Champions League and, of course, what we know, that, that the hangover from that. What I see with Leon is what you said, you know, maybe the fifth, sixth, seventh team, not just beating Herc, 
what many people think is the greatest team of all time in MLS, but what statistically you can make the argument is the greatest team of all time in MLS, and I beating them how you can. handily over 180 minutes, and beating them twice, and beating them in their place. To me, this, this sends a message. It's a bit of a wake-up call to those who would have said, MLS is equal with Liga Amekis a year ago. This is a, this is a knockback down to earth for that crowd. Listen to what I am saying right now, okay? MLS needs to be very, very worried, okay? You're about to head into the League's Cup. Mm -hmm. There are 29 Major League Soccer teams. There are 18 Liga Amekis teams. If there are more wins for Liga Amekis in a tournament where you have more numbers, the perception will not be good. Mm -hmm. You're in a situation right now when you need to be relevant. Relevant for subscriptions, relevant for sales, relevant in a market where Liga Amekis already owns. It's a bad, bad look if a preseason Liga Amekis tournament like this is ran by Liga Amekis. So be very careful there. So, of course, uh, Seattle Sounders representing MLS in the FIFA Club World Cup last year. This time representing CONCACAF, it'll be Leon. They'll be the uh, fourth team into the FIFA Club World Cup so far, which will take place in December this year in Saudi Arabia. It's the Urawa Red Diamonds of uh, Japan. They're the champions of Asia, Auckland City of New Zealand. They're the champions of Oceania and Al Itihad of the Saudi Pro League. They'll represent the host country. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, from talk of the uh, Club World Cup to the Under-20 World Cup quarterfinals this weekend, U.S. against Uruguay. U.S. trying to make the semifinals for the first time since 1989. 21 minutes in, Uruguay on the attack. Anderson Duarte makes it 1-0. Yeah, you don't need to leave your feet if you're there. Just stand him up, make him commit. You, you just overcommit, you give that play, and it's an easy, easy finish. And now you're down a goal to a team like Uruguay who's just gonna sit back and pick you apart. First goal the U.S. had conceded all tournament. Chance here for the U.S. Joshua Winder there. The flick, good save from the Uruguayan keeper. It's about as good as it got for the U.S. in the first half was just that moment. Second half, Uruguayan attack. Winder here on the other end, and uh-oh, it's an own goal. Yeah, it's an own goal. He attacks it with the right foot. It ends up going off his left foot. Maybe Gaga was a little slow to react there. Just a mess for all involved. 2-0, Uruguay, U.S. trying for a late rally. Diego Luna and Cade Cowell hooking up. That was only the second shot on target for the U.S. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough angle, but he hits it near post, and it's a very easy ball for them to deal with. Let's hear from manager Mikey Varis after the game. 
individual player development is our number one priority. So this, uh, all of these hard, uh, these hard moments are what ends up uh, making you better later. And um, we know that they'll, they'll all have a good chance of succeeding at the next uh, level, which is the Olympic team and the senior team. In terms of, yeah, how close things are, that's life. You know, um, the, uh, the margins are razor thin. And uh, I don't, uh, I have zero regrets about anything that we did or the, the boys did. We just weren't good enough today. And um, it, it was unfortunate because uh, Uruguay was good enough within their game model. But it's something that uh, everybody will learn from. U.S. under-20s out at the quarterfinal round of the World Cup. Herc, what's your big takeaway? My big takeaway is uh, there was a lot of overhyping of this moment of these players of this team. Um, maybe not necessarily heading into the tournament, but once the tournament started, because you beat an Ecuador, because you beat a Fiji, because you beat a New Zealand, you know, in the next round, that type of thing. You need to be very careful about how much we hype up these kids. Um, you are on the doorstep of history, and you ended up in the exact same place you've ended up the last three tournaments. Mm -hmm. There is no advancement. Now, I'm not too worried about it, per se, because, for one, it, it's these youth tournaments where you can't get your play best players there anyways, right? And the U.S., as they said, they're more interested in development, wouldn't have their b best players that are given in that age group anyways. Mikey Varis decided not to even call up Ricardo Pepe. He said he's graduated to the senior level, so that's not even part of the discussion. But we're so quick to look for the next big player. And in this team, for example, one of those big players was Diego Luna. Diego Luna can't get time for Rouse Salt Lake. And I don't know if you've seen Rouse Salt Lake, but they're not exactly lighting up in Major League Soccer. So we have to be very careful with how we hype some of these kids and also coaches. I was listening to people actually say Mikey Virus is ready for Major League Soccer. Mikey Virus should have stepped in instead of B.J. Callahan. These type of things. Mm. Or, or now, yes, even producer Beto, would he be ready for the Olympics? We have to be very cautious about how you approach this. It's about development, and that's where I agree with them. You're at mm. the same place you've been the last three times. No better, no different. If it's about development, keep developing these players. Wow, I thought you would be way more optimistic. I mean, that's four straight U-20 World Cups you get to the quarterfinals. Your point, you don't trascender, but you make a consistent run. You're showing that you're always at the last eight at this level, Herc. That's got to be worth something. And to your Spoken point about like not... a true Mexican fan. Well, hey, you got, you got to take your titles where you can get them. U-17, U-20, Olympics, I think it all matters. But when I look at the guys that aren't in this list... We remember the players that were left off because their clubs wouldn't allow them. Guys like Jay Neal, guy who we spoke to, Paxton Aronson. There's also a ton of names like Ricardo Pepe, Gio Reyna, Joe Scali, Balogun that are age eligible for the Olympics. So when I look at this Olympics. team and I think about it and I think about this team as the base of the Olympic team, I get really excited. I think you had all those players and your overage players. You got a medal contender if you're the U.S. I said... Can I stop you really quickly? Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody can say who's a medal contender, who's not, because we have no idea who will be released and who won't be released. You're just going off I'm countries going off at the, the senior level. I'm going off the fact that they've qualified and that they have a really deep pool. So even if you do have guys who aren't released, okay, let's you're going to have a really fact, good let's team. Let's go off the fact that they've qualified. This is the first Olympics that they've qualified in how long? 12 years. 
what I was trying to preach, you're completely kicking the door down on. Like, let's let's just for a second, if it's right. about development, which I agree, because hey, I want them to win to succeed. It would have been mm-hmm. great to see another semifinalist for the first time since 1989. Mm-hmm. I mean, Casey Keller had hair the last time he played in this tournament, and they made the semifinal games. It would be nice, but that's not the ultimate goal. How many times have we seen teams do very well in youth championships, but it can't translate to the senior level? The key is the senior level. Hey, if you're going to compete, compete and compete well, and they did at times, but this is almost like the World Cup for the U.S. men's national team. Yes, you advance, but what did you really do? You beat Iran. They were very good at moments and defensively very solid, but the first real test, a, a team that you said, hey, this is going to be a contender, it's going to be something difficult, and it was the most lackluster of performances. So while it's something to be very proud of, the fourth consecutive, you know, mm-hmm. second round, tame expectations is all I'm saying. Herc, let's turn our attention here from the collective to the individuals. This isn't going to be stock up, stock down, but let's pretend that we're investing in one of these U20 players. If you had some money to invest in one of these prospects, who would you invest? That's funny you put it that way because that's exactly how, if there was a stock I wanted to purchase right now, mm-hmm. it's Obed Vargas. Now, Obed Vargas to start off, is, it's got a ridiculous, just awesome story. The kid's from Alaska, Mexican-Americans from Alaska. I don't know anybody from Alaska, let alone a professional <laughs> soccer player. And this kid makes his professional debut at 15 years of age. He's the third youngest player in Major League Soccer ever to get a game. Not only that, He'll be eligible for another U20 mm-hmm. uh, down the line. He's 17 years right now. Obed Vargas is the future for the Seattle Sounders and also, I believe, of the U.S. men's national team in a position that worries me. Defensive midfielder. Tyler Adams won't be forever, and he's proven that he's got durability issues. And with those durability issues come some worries. Do you trust Kellen Acosta? Do you trust Johnny Cardozo? Do you trust an Aiden Morris if that's the case uh, going forward? I really feel that once, what once was, excuse me, a very prominent position because historically, what does, what does the U.S. produce? Goalkeepers, and it used to be defensive midfielders. That was the position that you produced so much of. And now, that's a position that's a huge question mark for me. So I think Obed Vargas is somebody with European interest, that somebody could have a, a national team pedigree that's very, very important. And right now at this age, if I had an opportunity to buy stock in him, I would purchase. And, of course, he plays for Seattle, so Sounders TV. We check that box here on this edition of Football Does he play for Seattle? Yes. I'm picking oh. Joshua Winder. <laughs> USL TV. Louisville City TV and Football Americas TV, right? Because he was a guest, yes. uh, a guest here on the show. Look, uh, of course, the own goal stings. But uh, I think every hero story needs a, kind of that origin moment. And I think what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So this could be something big for Josh Winder. Uh, this is based on what I saw Herc from him down in Argentina, but also what I've seen of him from Louisville. He's a center back, yes, but he has goals in his game. And he also has great distribution uh, in his game. He plays for a Louisville team, not just a lot of minutes at a big position, but for a winning club. And I think that's Really, really important. We know he has major European interests. We don't know exactly where he's going to end up (laughs) after his uh, interview here. We we found out it might not exactly be Benfica, as he told us, just rumors. But I think this is a player that, especially when you consider he could turn out to be a center back, or, as we see with Louisville, you could move him up into a more aggressive midfield role. I think it's a guy who has a very, very nice future, despite her the kind of sour end to this World Cup for him. Yeah, and there's also a player that I believe has an, another U-20 World Cup in his future, so we're, we're both picking players that are very, very young. 
People forget how young these players are. It's great that they're getting these first-team minutes, and, and maybe Louisville is in first-team in, in what is first division, but he's getting recognition from the senior national team. He's already been invited to camps, and like you mentioned, European interest, so it's a great shout. All right, we are not done with the U-20s. No, 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 because CONCACAF had its under-20 Women's Championship, which also doubles as under-20 World Cup qualifying, the final in the Dominican Republic between the U.S. and Mexico. 0-0 in the second half, foul called on Mexico. The U.S. Herc is going to the spot. Going to the spot and it putting it, oh no! Itzel Velasco, the big save on Tessa De La Rose to keep it 0-0 in the second half. About 20 minutes later, Mexico strikes. Tatiana Flores up ahead to Mylin Orozco. 1-0. Tatiana Flores, Marcelo Flores' sister. Nice no, Marcelo Flores is Tatiana's brother. That's, that's true these days. Good little finish. Mexico in front. U.S. responds. Onyeka Gamero, she had a huge game. Walks right in and makes it 1-1. Just a slick little turn with speed and then roofs it. Teams going back and forth. 87th minute, deflection in behind. It's going to be Fatima Sanchez to make it 2-1 Mexico. Fatima Sanchez just taking advantage of an air right there, and that'll be game blouses. So Mexico, 2-1 winners. The U.S. had won this competition the last two times, but the Mexico U-20s making history there. So CONCACAF going to send three teams to the 2024 Under-20 Women's World Cup. USA and Mexico, they'd already punched their ticket ahead of the final. The last spot going to Canada, who won the third place match. Crazy game. It came from behind, won an extra time, 5-3 over Costa Rica. This is the first time the Under-20 Women's World Cup will feature 24 teams, up from 16 last time around. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. U.S. men's national team coaching vacancy. Jesse Marsh, of course, the reported lead candidate. Well, as of this weekend, he's been linked to another big job, the Celtic job in Scotland, which is expected to be open in the coming days. And that's not the only recent managerial link for Marsh. He's been linked to Monaco of the French top flight as well. The 49-year-old American been out of work since being fired by Leeds back in February. Herc, what's the best of the three jobs that Marsh has been linked to? Monaco, Celtic, or the U.S. men's national team head gig? Oh, for Jesse Marsh, what is more attractive right now in this mm-hmm. stage for him? Celtic. Now, I'm looking at Monaco right now, and 
I believe Thierry Henry was there in 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, they've had six coaches. So it's a bit of a volatile situation. And I don't know if Jesse Marsh wants to go from one volatile situation like Leeds United to another volatile situation like Monaco. Uh, you look at the U.S. men's national team. Yes, he's mentioned it's, it's a bit of a dream of his. But right now... It's also a bit of a hot potato. This moment, this exact moment with the player pool and how much they're struggling, I think Jesse Marsh could be thinking, like, if I take this, can I go back to Europe? Can I get these opportunities again? Okay? Now, hold on. Hold on before you go there. So let me just make a case for Celtic, okay? Celtic is a team that since 2007 has only, excuse me, 2010 has only had seven coaches. So it's a much more stable situation. You're going to be fighting for silverware every single season. It's you and Rangers. That's pretty much what you got to worry about. It's a massive platform, as you can see by their last coach now going to Tottenham Hotspur. And it's European competition. And what I mean by that is it's Champions League. And if it's not Champions League, it's Europa League. Um, with that stability comes that platform and the opportunity to bigger and better. If you're thinking about more attractive, that would be the most attractive to me. Hmm. At this right, stage yeah. for his age. Yeah, we've seen, to, to your point, it's not just the current manager. We've seen a lot of Celtic managers have success and they make the jump to the Premier League. So, yes. a very attractive job. I think between Celtic and Monaco, Celtic would definitely be the, the clear front runner. I guess the question here is, or what I would ask is, why all these links all of a sudden while Jesse Marsh is effectively waiting on U.S. soccer to decide, right? I think this is, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, an agent doing excellent work or somebody in Marsh's camp doing excellent work to link him to these jobs. Because certainly in the Celtic case, you can, you can make a case that it's at least as attractive, if not more, than the U.S. job. And I wonder, Herc, if you're U.S. soccer, if you're worried about Jesse Marsh potentially taking one of these jobs, is he a candidate that's so good, that's so right for the position, that he's worth rushing and just saying, you know what, we don't want to lose this guy? I know what you're saying. And a couple things. Uh I go back and I think Jesse Marsh has been linked to Celtic before. He's been linked to Monaco before. Mm -hmm. Hell, he was linked to Seth Southampton. He was also linked to, mm -hmm. to uh, was Leicester, it? City. Leicester City. Thank mm -hmm. you. So it's not like he's not uh, somewhat of a hot commodity or a known commodity, I should or, say. Or he's got an agent that likes to talk to the press. Well, hold on. Hold on. But right? Where do links come from? Well, one second. Was he not an option for Southampton? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying not, but I'm, I'm just saying when there's all this smoke comes out no, that no, somebody's being I'll talked by team after team yes. after team. And I, and you, I will, I will when everybody there. likes to work in secrecy, you think it's so they're sending a message to U.S. soccer to say, hey, don't, don't wait too if long. If you listen close, and I'm not saying you, but yes, I, I, you should listen closely. If you listen closely, sometimes people will tell you mm -hmm. what's really going on. Sometimes people will show you who they really are. Matt Crocker said that there were coaching candidates with club situations. Maybe he knows there are actual club offers that Jesse Marsh is weighing. Maybe Jesse Marsh is the guy, and he's waiting to see if Jesse Marsh is actually going to go down that road. No, if he's down your guy, why are you going to wait and see for him because to take another job? Because it's not just your decision. It's also mm. Jesse Marsh's decision. That's yeah. the reality here. It takes two to tango, two to yeah. dance, two to party here. Well, and right now, U.S. soccer, it's in a one-man party, one-person party. Sure. Well, this might put some more urgency on, uh, on U.S. soccer, at least when it comes to the candidacy of Jesse Marsh. Now, Jesse Marsh, right now, a lot of people think he's going to be the next manager of the U.S. men's national team. That is one of many topics we discussed last week in part two of our interview with Clint Dempsey. Let's check it out.
Nations League semifinal versus Mexico, and then the Gold Cup. How would Clint Dempsey, um, I guess, assess the U.S. men's national team right now? I would assess that I'm not happy with the changing of interim coach to interim coach. They need to figure out who the coach is going to be and get them in place because 2026, we have the World Cup at home. There's no better opportunity for you to do something special, go further than any U.S. men's national team has ever done uh, before in history. And, 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 we're, and, we're, and we're sitting and not making a decision. I think it needs to figure out who's going to be your coach and, and, and go with it. And hopefully they, they make the right decision. But looking back at CONCACAF Nations League, you might think, oh, this game is not important. I would disagree. I think this is a huge game versus Mexico. And the reason why I'll say that, if you look at the last CONCACAF Nations League, the team wasn't really doing that great. They weren't setting the world alight at the time. They come off a big loss to Switzerland, coming into the Honduras game, which they barely squeaked out a win. Uh, versus them in the last minute. And then you have the huge win versus Mexico that got this team believing, that changed the tide in the U.S.-Mexico rivalry um, in terms of who was going to be number one and who was going to be number two because started seeing some kinks in the armor of Mexico because at that time they were flying high over Tata Martinez. Mm -hmm. No one would have thought things would have ended up how they would a few, a few years later, especially look at Gold Cup. We won that Gold Cup when they brought a pretty strong team. I would say we didn't bring our strongest team. We beat them there. So you start to see how they were dominant, and then the U.S. started to gain that dominance. So that's why I think this game is huge for setting the mindset and staying on that wave of building towards – um, winning, hopefully winning CONCACAF Nations League, hopefully playing in Copa America, doing something special there, the World Cup coming up. I mean, you have to build this wave because already what you did in the World Cup was huge. So why not keep on that wave? And it, if they don't get the job done in CONCACAF Nations League, I think it's a big missed opportunity. You say you're not happy that there's not a manager. Like, what do you want in a manager? And specifically, how important is it that the guy be American? Because it seems like some of the candidates that we're hearing are are American. I think whoever's going to be the best manager is going to be the best manager. But if you look at the World Cup, 15 of the 16 teams were managers from the, the country that they were representing. So it shows that there is something maybe there with that. Um, unfortunate, the situation that happened with Greg Berhalter. Um, and I know that he's still in line for that job. I know Jesse Marsh is as well. Um, but it, the most important thing is get the best out of your players, have them playing a good style, have them, having being able to be more dynamic, score goals. Interesting to see how this team does now that we have an, an, another a dangerous number nine. Uh, if you look at the last world cup, I think we led in top of the teams in terms of the crosses that we were able to, to get into the box, but we weren't able to finish. So having a more prolific number nine. Um, that's exciting to think about. And like you said, finding that right coach is going to make this team be confident, play on the front foot. I don't want to see a team that's scared, that sits back. Um, so I think that's going to be important uh, for the U.S. to find. We'll talk about Fuller and Balogun in a second, but uh, I I'm interested in your perception of B.J. Callahan. He was the assistant to Anthony Hudson, and Anthony Hudson was the assistant to Greg Berhalter. So he's like the third assistant. It's almost like an office meme joke at this point. Um, for players out there, Clint, like, could you describe maybe how difficult it is with so many changes in coaching and BJ Callahan, maybe the challenges he will face um, in these both tournaments or both of these tournaments, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is I don't know if 
they've made too many changes for what Burhalter did uh, in terms of their their tactics and 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 their playing style. I don't know what the dynamic was in the team when you have a coach and you have the assistant who was good cop, who was bad cop. You know what I mean? What that relationship was like with the players and now to be the head coach or the interim coach. You know, does that change or not? I don't like the fact that you're having two different interim coaches. Honestly, I think that you need to make a decision. You know, what is it? Uh, I w- the, the reference I would use would, would not be good, but uh, I know what you're going to say. Get off, get the, off pot. the pot, right? <laughs> yeah. Use the bathroom or get off the pot, right? So yeah. I just think they need to make the decision um, and, and go with it because I think the CONCACAF Nations League games are huge in terms of building that momentum. And then you got the opportunity for Copa America next year. So it's you got a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to in these next three years. Herc mentioned Balogun. I want your analyst hat on, but I want your player hat on a little bit for this as well. Does this guy, just based on his resume so far, does he walk in as a starting number nine against Mexico, or does he have to earn it? You always have to earn stuff, but I think he's earning it through his play by the goals that he was able to score uh, in in Europe this season. Um, Obviously, when you get a chance to get on the field, you're going to have to you know, show your stuff and, and get goals or, or create chances. And if you're not doing that, then then that's when you go to the bench. Just like playing in any professional league, especially in Europe, if you don't take your chances, then you'll, you'll you know, you might just find yourself in a, in a bad situation. So I think you got to kind of have to get him in. If he's the best player that you're seeing in training, that's another thing that we don't have access to. I'm not at training sessions like of what the team was doing in the World Cup and who are the best players and who you should be playing and stuff like that. But I think with what he did in Europe, you have to kind of give him a chance. Um, and it's a huge game playing against Mexico. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they balance that. So the moment that Fuller and Balogun commits the U.S. men's national team, he automatically became the U.S. men's national team uh, goal scorer with the most goals in Europe, beating Clint Dempsey. So mm. give, me, give, give me your overall impressions of the moment that happened and what you thought. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you want to be breaking records, and if people break your records, well, then you were part of the trailblazing of, of – helping people, you know, to, to accomplish that. Oh, I know that he is a player that has spent a lot of time in Europe. I am someone who grew up in Nacogdoches, Texas. So to be able to do what I did is, is, is pretty crazy, especially, you know, from such a small town. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there are going to be other players that, that, that break records. It's been exciting to see what Christian Poliskis has been able to do. Mm. Um, you know, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, uh, just um, um, Musa in the midfield. That midfield that we have in the World Cup was special. So, yeah, it's all about breaking records and, and, and setting them. So hopefully uh, that will continue. Hey, w- would you put an asterisk on it? And I say this respectfully because you did it in the mm. Premier League. Would I put an asterisk? You got it, you know, and the big league, and you did it on a team that was not in the top four. That's right. You got to put an asterisk on it, bro. I, I appreciate you, Eric. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for showing me some love. It's worth saying, also, active U.S. men's national team player, a guy with caps, right? Balgan doesn't have a cap yet. So you did it as a cap national teamer. So there is definitely an asterisk on that. Uh, one more question. Also asterisk, hey, also the asterisk on the leading goal score. I did it in less games. Come on, put another asterisk Let's on. go. Let's go. <laughs> what on there, right? Football America's asterisk edition. Uh, you mentioned Christian Pulisic. I got to ask you about him. Huge summer coming up for him on the international stage, but also this club at Chelsea. What do you want for Christian Pulisic? Like, where do you want to see him next fall? I think the most important thing is he goes to a team that he's going to be a major player for them because I think it's tough to go from being uh, a player that that's kind of, you know, not 
being a major player for your team and then come to the States and having that pressure of being a major player for there as well. I think you need to be a major player wherever you're at. I think you need to be playing significant minutes. I think that's for our players to be doing the best that they can. They need to be playing week in and week out and playing with confidence for them to come in and be make more of an impact for our U.S. team. All right, Herc, lots to unpack there from our chat with Clint Dempsey. I guess let's start with the coaching search since that's what he started on. It, it seems like he really, he really wishes that the permanent head coach was already in place right now, doesn't it? Yeah, if you could find the correct permanent head coach, right? If we could all say, this is the guy, get him in, get him in right now, that's the ideal situation because I'm a firm believer that coaches matter, man. I mean, Seb, same set of players play differently with different coaches. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because coaches can get different things out of those players. And we saw it in Sevilla. We saw it in Tigres down here in our region. In the same season, coaches... It's their job to get the best out of these players. And sometimes you're good at it, and sometimes you are not. And dealing with pressure situations, mm -hmm. essentially what they're telling us is this tournament, these two tournaments yeah. don't matter, and it's the coaching search that matters. And, and that's all well and fine. But I remember what Clint was talking about. The 13 months where Dave Sarakin was a caretaker, you knew that the guy was Greg Berhalter. All you did was lose 13 months of yeah. preparation, of time with these players. It's easy to look back on the last Nations League and see everything that's happened since and say, wow, the Nations League really matters. We are still at this point, Herc, I think three years from the next World Cup. How much does a Nations League and even a Gold Cup that, you know, you're probably going to send a B team to matter this far out from a World Cup? I think that, that's kind of what we're trying to get at here. Yeah, I, I mean, they're telling you it doesn't matter because if it did matter, they would prioritize and does if they it, had a coach. Does it? Well... Essentially, no. You agree with Clint or do you disagree? Because he, it, it sounds when he says, like, it matters. It matters big time to him. Well, it would if you didn't have a Copa America coming up. It would if mm. you didn't have a Confederations, mm. which you didn't have when this, you know, started happening. You, you had to make those tournaments work. You had to make that be important for you, and it was. Now, you've got some major tournaments coming up. Would I sacrifice maybe a lesser coach just to get him in place right now? No. Exactly. Not at all. Exactly. That's not the route you want to go down. You want to get it right. But in saying that, you need to get it right. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll, we'll see on June 15th. Maybe it won't affect the U.S. in 2026, but it could affect the pecking order uh, in CONCACAF. Oh, yes. The U.S. Yes, men's national team in California, not far from you right now. Uh, preparations underway in Los Angeles ahead of the CONCACAF. Nations League showdown with Mexico and Vegas on June 15th. Of course, B.J. Callahan taking over, a second interim manager this year for the U.S. after Anthony Hudson's departure. But for all the change, there are still plenty of familiar faces around the team, like Christian Pulisic, who spoke to the media today and once again raised some eyebrows with his comments. Um, obviously, it's it's all come as a bit of a surprise for us, I think, with some of the changes, just as much as it is for you. Um, so we're dealing with it as best we can. Um, we've, you know, we, we've spoken, um, you know, and, and given our input as much as we can. It's not our job as players to appoint a manager or, or whatever the deal is. But we're just here to, to come out and, and perform as best we can, no matter who the, who the coach is. Uh, we're excited to be here and represent the Crest. And, uh, yeah, that's just how we look at it right now. 
I th I, yeah, I, I think I think he is still considered. I think he should be considered. I think he uh, did a great job with the team. Um, he brought us a long way. I think a lot of guys, a lot of people and a lot of guys on the team, especially, would agree with that. And uh, I mean, as far as your second question, there's no need to to monitor that. To, that's that's just uh, self-explanatory. Yeah, self-explanatory. So. Christian Pulisic, once again, going to bat for Greg Berhalter. Herc, you cool with it? I, how could I not be cool with him saying what he wants? You know, like, I value people that speak their mind regardless mm -hmm. of whether I agree with it or not. He's not following suit, so that's fine. Do I think this is in any way surprising? No. Christian Pulisic's a player that's lacked stability at the club level. You can go back to his time at Dortmund. You can go to Chelsea with Frank Lampard. You can go to Chelsea with Thomas Tuchel, uh, you know, with Graham Potter, Frank Lampard again. Who's the one coach throughout his young, very inexperienced career that's really given him this ability? It's Greg Berhalter. So how could he not want Greg Berhalter back? Does it, it, it could be the correct decision or the correct person for Christian Pulisic. Does it mean it's the correct person for the U.S. men's national team? Absolutely not. But those are two very distinctive things. So what Christian Pulisic may want or may need isn't exactly what the U.S. men's national team may want or need. Do I have a problem with him saying it? No. Yeah. Not like everybody else out there that seems to be, yeah. you know, going crazy with this. And by the way, we've done this very same episode before. We were here talking about why he would advocate for Greg Verhalter. And I think, as he said, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, one... What else is he supposed to say? Not right. that he doesn't genuinely, you know, think that Greg Berhalter is a good coach and did good things for him, but you put a guy uh, in front of the media and he's not going to say anything bad about the last coach who, as he says, uh, in what everything we're told, is still being considered for this job. But I love it for the point that you make because it's Christian Pulisic having his own opinion, not a very popular opinion, and being very vocal about it. And I think when you talk about the growth, the maturity of a player that U.S. soccer is going to rely on for years and years and years to come. You want to see him growing into his own person. Clearly, he's not afraid to have an opinion here, even if, Herc, it's not the most popular opinion. And I think Christian Pulisic knows how to read a room. I think he knows that endorsing Greg Berhalter is not going to make him any more fans in the U.S. men's national team Twitterverse. But I don't think he cares, and that's a good sign for U.S. soccer. Twitter's not the real world. And you got to do you. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're right, but you got to do you. That's right. Clip it. Twitter is not the real world. All right, let's run it back with more uh, CONCACAF in Europe. Valerian Balogun coming into Nations League hot. Gets his 21st goal of the season in French League play this weekend. Hurt. 21 butts. Ain't going to lie. This is good. This is very good. What you want is an informed Balogun, a confident Balogun to make a statement in these games. Balogun, the lone goal scorer his club, lost 3-1 to Montpellier. Interesting to see what's next for him. Of course, on loan from Arsenal. In Spain, Kyle Lahren and Valladolid relegated on the last day of the Spanish season. Bad news for him, but good news for Americans Yunus Musa at Valencia and Luca de la Torre at Celta de Vigo, who narrowly missed the drop, Herc. Yeah, Kyle Lahren's gonna get a big sell somewhere. I mean, he was absolutely lights out with this team. By the way, Pesolano, the coach who got relegated, talking about America for him, Club America. Laren on loan from Club Brugge in Belgium. Speaking of, the Belgian league had a crazy ending, Herc. Did you see this? The title changed hands between three different teams in the last five minutes of the last match day of the season. Drama, baby. Why did they put in there with Sam Vines? Sam Vines got a trophy. 
Come on. But this is a crazy finish. By the way, Sam Vines and Vincent Jansen. That's a name from the past right there. Sam Vines in Royal Antwerp finishing first gank with Mark McKenzie and Gerardo Arteaga finishing second, both uh, into the Champions League spots uh, for qualifying. Let's hear what uh, Arteaga had to say after his season wrapped up, now out of contract at Gank. Yes, I've seen the internet rumors, but I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I want to stay here in Europe, clearly. If I get offers from here in Europe, I prefer to stay here in Europe. At the end of the day, football is not the one who decides. El jugador a veces no es el que decide, pero en mi mente está que yo quiero permanecer en Europa. Eh, obviamente mi, mi objetivo es dar un salto a una liga mejor. Yo aquí cumplí ya mis, mis 100 partidos, he estado jugando muy bien, he estado aquí en el club. Igual si me toca estar aquí lo voy a seguir haciendo, voy a seguir defendiendo este escudo. Pero mi, mi inspiración, mi motivación es dar un salto. Arteaga, linked with a move actually back to Liga MX and Club América. Let's say those opportunities elsewhere don't materialize, Herc, and it's a choice between Club América and staying in Belgium at Gang. What do you think Artiaga should do? He said he wanted to make the jump, dar el salto. Mm -hmm. Going to Liga Mekis, back down to Liga Mekis isn't dando el salto. That would be a free fall on the end of his European adventure. You don't go back. That rarely happens. He's 24 years of age. He was a consistent starter for Gang. I think that bigger and better, that jump can come for him. Can't happen for him. But not if you go back down. Not if you go to America. That'll never happen for you again. That's a, this, it's going to be very, very difficult. So stay there. Keep performing at Gank. It's a great platform. It's a situation where you're already, and I want to use the word comfortable. Mm -hmm. Don't get it mistaken. I think he's a very good player. I think he's got a lot to offer. And I think the opportunity will be there. Whether he plays another year in Belgium or another six months in Belgium, that will be there for him. But not if he goes back to Liga Mekis. You're almost closing a door right there. You're saying, this is it for me. I I'm going back. So I would never tell a Mexican player, a young Mexican player, to come back to Liga Mekis. But, so I'm, but I'm trying to understand her <laughs> why Arteaga would consider it. And I'm thinking from his perspective. He spends four years at Gang, right? He has a great four years, over 100 appearances, proves that he's capable of playing that level. And what did that lead to him at the World Cup? Yeah, he didn't play. Nothing, yeah. right? Now, I don't know why. Maybe some of that's on Tata Martino, but maybe some of that is the fact that Belgium is a platform that, for whatever reason, isn't enough to get you playing time with the Mexican national team. Club America is that platform. Do you think that's what he's thinking here, saying, one, I'm going to get paid more being a World Cup veteran Mexican national teamer going back to Mexico, and as far as visibility for the national team is concerned, the national team manager is an ex-Liga MX coach in Diego Coca. I know he's going to be watching Club America every week. And if I'm thinking about the national team, maybe Club America is actually more of a help than staying in Belgium at a league where you couldn't get, even with your great performances, much of run at the World Cup. You're telling me Diego Coca will not call him up, will not treat him equally to his Liga MX counterparts if he's at Genk. I have to wonder, Herc, because the last manager did that. The last manager told us that Gank and the, and the Belgian League and a solid performance there was not worth minutes at the World Cup. If you're a player, that's got to mean something to you, right? The last manager left Santi Jimenez at home while he was scoring goals for Feyenoord. The last manager took Raul Jimenez to the World Cup 
when he was injured and can barely walk. The last manager also mm -hmm. took Funes Mori when he was injured. Mm -hmm. The last manager was the first manager since 1982 not to get out of a group stage. And you're going to reference the last manager as a rule? Mm. Let's, let's reference the level of play then, huh? Because in the quote, he doesn't say, I want to go to a bigger club. He says, I want to go to a bigger league, which to me means he wants better competition week in and week out. Would he not get that in Liga Mekis compared to Belgium? Do you think Liga Mekis is a bigger league than Belgium? I think competition week in and week out is probably better if you're on a team in Liga Mekis than you're one of the top teams in Belgium playing against some of the bottom feeders. Yeah. Do you think the competition That's what is he says. He says Mekis? he wants a better league. He wants better competition. So I'm asking you if you think the competition is better at Liga Mekis than it would be in Belgium. That's what he's got to evaluate, right? I'm asking right? Sebastian Salazar. Yeah. I think at the top levels, yeah. I think, I think it's a very even question. Okay. Yeah. So... You think, you think the Belgian league week in and week out is tougher than Liga Mekis? Well, now if you're talking about his, if you're talking about the three or four Champions League group phase games that he might you, get, that's you, different. If you win Liga Mekis, what do you get a chance to do? Play in the Concacaf Champions League. If you yeah, win, but week in and week out, you're going against. Let's say he goes to a Club América. You're going against Tigres. You're going against Rayados. You're going against León. You're going against Chivas. You're going against quality competition. Now talk about Necaxa. Now talk about Tijuana. Now talk about Querétaro. All right, now name talk me the teams Bravos. at the bottom in Belgium. You don't even know them. But, but Sebi, this is what I'm telling you. If you want to go cream the crop, mm -hmm. if you just want to go bare down minimum, okay, and say you're going to face America, you're going to face Tigres, you're going to play in the League's Cup. Like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing here? Like, he says he wants to make the jump. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Either you think he's in a position right now where if he goes back down to the Liga Mekis, it's a significant jump down, jump down, not up. It's a leap down. It's yeah. a free fall down. Because that's, that's what he's getting at right there. If I go back, this is going back. Mm. I think Belgium is a platform that you could, for the same reason that Memo Ochoa, who is a national hero and right now playing in Saladerintana, Saladerintana, and, and doing well, you could make the argument that they're no bigger than America, right? But he's not at America. He chose to be there because that's a jump up for him. That league, the opportunity to compete against the best. You think Belgium is a good platform for Arteaga? I hope you're right. Let's see what offers come in this summer, and maybe there won't even be a choice. Maybe just be a, a big jump to Premier League or La Liga, and we won't have to worry about a move back to Liga Mekis and Club America. Messi Watch continues. Uh, not just in Miami, around the globe. The latest seems to be coming out of and perhaps pointing back to Barcelona where reportedly the Saudi Pro League offer has been all but discarded as a viable option for Messi, and it's down to Barcelona, who are still awaiting La Liga and probably their accountant's approval, as well as Inter Miami. Leo Messi's father, Jorge Messi, in Barcelona Monday to meet with club president Joan Laporta. Let's hear what he had to say. Does it depend on Barcelona? Are you confident that he will return? Uh-oh, something, nothing, or everything. Herc, how worried should Inter-Miami folks be about the latest development in the Messi saga? It's something. It's definitely not nothing. This is the first time that you have somebody in Messi's camp saying, we want this to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not only do we want this to happen, but Messi wants this to happen. They are there. 
There are a lot of financials that are over my head, over your head. I don't know how La Liga can approve it, but all signs indicate that they want to approve it so they can find some sort of way. But if you're Inter Miami, you should be worried because it's not about the money with Messi. It really isn't. I, I think this is Messi saying, how do I want to end my career? And if it's possible, if it's viable for Barcelona and La Liga, it will happen. That right now, for me, seems to be the only hiccup. Can they make it happen? It's not as easy as he wants to go. Let's make it happen. There are a lot of financials with financial fair play and then being solvent enough to do it to get this going. I don't think it makes sense for Barcelona in a sporting way or mm. a financial way. can put him behind the eight ball, but it would be a very fitting ending to a very, very unbelievable career. Yeah. This is worrisome. This is worrisome. All the smoke before this really, truly felt uh, like it was heading towards Inter-Miami. And the one option that you worried about as far as competition for Inter-Miami was always Barcelona. Even when PSG was being floated, he didn't seem yeah. happy there. The Saudi offer kind of came out of nowhere. It was huge money, but it always felt like an ill fit. You knew there was an emotional desire to return to Barcelona, but we always thought it was a financial impossibility. Now it turns out Herc La Liga is going to put their MLS hat on and just be like, well, we want this guy in. Uh, let's make it work. If they can make it work, it would be a very fitting end. It would be a happy ending because for all romantic. I want to see, all I want to see Messi in Inter-Miami and MLS, there was nothing sadder than when he left Barcelona in tears. If there's one guy who deserves the chance to write his own chapter and write his farewell the way he wants, especially after what he went through with the PSG saga, I think it's Messi. And I, I almost, I hate to say this, I almost want him to have that goodbye at Barcelona, even if it costs us his time here on South Beach. Aww. I'm going to have to take off my MLS jacket for that one, huh? Aww, They're going to make me send it back to New York. Oh, look at our graphics department. Muy anti-Messi. Say, uh, dig up the stats on Messi's uh, recent club numbers. Producer Beto Whoa. says he's ready for MLS. You know he's the <laughs> only player in the top five leagues with double-digit goals and assists? Come on. Our next guest here on Football Americas is Kat Kostrauyar. She's part of the Asian American and Pacific Islander leadership team at United Soccer Coaches and on the heels of AAPI Heritage Month. Perfect time to have her on the show. Kat, welcome to Football Americas. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to hear all about the organization, kind of what you guys are doing, but I couldn't help reading your bio, wanting to know more about your story. So you grew up in Oklahoma. You're Iranian-American, and somehow you end up on the Iranian women's national team. How did that happen? I have no idea. It's just one of those things where it's fate, it's destiny, and you have to you know, go through with your calling. Um, yes, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Don't judge. Um, and they did have a very good soccer program back in the day. I was part of ODP. And for those of you who don't know it, that's the Olympic De uh, Development Program. And uh, I did try out for regionals. And uh, that same summer that before senior year of high school, where I was already, uh, I was going to commit. I was very sure what university I was going to commit to. I decided to take a two-week trip to uh, Tehran 
to meet my family that I've never met before. And a long story short, those two weeks turned to almost 12 years where I helped create the women's national team. I was the captain and uh, I was the first woman in the, in the Middle East and Central Asia to get my FIFA's A license for coaching. Then I went and became the under 19 uh, women's national team head coach and led them to the high ranks of Asia. Kat, I'm curious about your experience in actually playing with Iran in the national team. What was that like for you? Oh, my God. It was so bizarre. Um, you know, the difference between U.S.-style soccer and, you know, Asian-slash, you know, uh, Iran-style soccer is very different. Uh, the passion levels, um, the reason why they play, uh, why they are on the field, what they are fighting for is quite different. Um, but what I can say about playing with the Iran national team is that it was a grassroots program that I helped develop alongside other um, astonishing coaches in, in this field. And, uh, you know, the, the level was low at the beginning, but it honestly took about a year and a half before it was able to properly take off and it could become an Asian powerhouse. They've still not touched the surface of their potential. And, uh, you know, given what's happening in the country right now, women are at the forefront of immense change. So it's, it's going to be um, it's going to be exciting to see what the women uh, what this national team does at the Olympic qualifications and also for the, the youth teams at the Asian level for those qualifications. Kat, you mentioned what's happening in the country right now. The headlines we've seen, Iranian women's uh, banned from stadiums. Uh, we've also seen in Afghanistan, there was a, a lot of coverage when the women's national team there and the youth national teams had to get out of the country. And I know you were involved in that process. Generally, as we look at that part of the world, like what is the state uh, of women's soccer there? Women just want to play. Uh, they they find it very odd that they're still not able to go to the stadium to watch their favorite team or to be able to participate in any training session if a man is on the field. It's getting to the point where it's just um, you know it's absurd. Uh, women want to you know be able to have be a regular fan like any other country uh, or the women in that country um, is able to partake in any type of joyous or celebrations that uh, you know you're able to actually celebrate your team um what's happening in afghanistan is quite different from iran iran used to, the national team still exists they are still able to participate across um you know various tournaments globally whereas afghanistan um i had to help the captain of the national team Fahun Muftaj, who's actually a Canadian Afghan, and we helped create this um, evacuation. And the operation was called Operation Soccer Ball. Um, everyone knew about this, who needed to know about it. And that is what the term is called. But we were able to get the girls out to the home of Cristiano Ronaldo, Portugal, and the girls are currently playing there. But uh, nevertheless, they're still training, they're still playing. Football is a way of soccer is a way of life for them. And uh, women in that region are going to keep pushing boundaries as they have been absolutely yeah you're coaching mac now in the states you've coached at a youth level as well you know sebi and i are always talking about representation uh within the united states and u.s soccer what kind of representation are you seeing from the asian american pacific islander community uh, here within u.s soccer 
My first experience after coming back to the U.S. was in Seattle when I was uh, the head coach of the under-19 academy team. And uh, there were a lot of Asians, um, you know, from Korea, from Japan, from China. They were mixed. And it's good to see that amount of representation because they're really good at soccer, too. Why not uh, enjoy, you know, enjoy the piece of the, the football pie? And, um, you know, what I've seen now, especially now that I've moved to Texas, is that that representation is now growing to towards like Middle Eastern players or Central American players, uh, sorry, Central Asian players. So this means that there's room for growth. The game is going to be growing more players, more talented players from a young age want to participate in, you know, this uh, in this beautiful game. Kat, tell us a little bit more about your work with United Soccer Coaches and kind of why it's so important to the future. I needed to find a home where I, you know, I could, you know, call anybody um, within the community and, you know, whether they would speak the same language or understand a little bit of the culture, especially the football culture. Um, the, the API football community for United Soccer Coaches is a place where all are welcome, but the focus is API. And it's really important to have that representation because we have now a lot of players and coaches that need support. So we are that focal point. We are that, you know, the nucleus of that support for the players and for the coaches that need any assistance. All right, Kat, thanks for joining us. Keep up the great work and you're welcome here anytime on Football Americas. We hope to see you soon. Thanks, Kat. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. All right, Herc, let's talk some fashion. Time for a drippin' or trippin'. We check in on our friends at San Diego Loyal who have released another jersey. It's their third kit this season. It's, of course, by Charlie, who makes some amazing, amazing uniforms. They're calling it the 8-bit kit, hearkening back to the video game era of the 80s and 90s. Herc, what do you think? Drippin'. Drip, 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 drip. I only hope MLS... San Diego takes notes and they don't go cookie cutter with the rest of Major League Soccer. I hope the designs can stay somewhat fly like these. I love it. I love it. I'm in the 8-bit kit. I like it. It's a dripping for me. You want the people at MLS who are going to name the San Diego team San Diego FC to, to not original. do the same? To be yeah, original. Be original? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. good luck with that. San Diego Loyals. They say San Diego FC. Who? Beautiful kid. You say Anything loyal? by Charlie. You say Anything loyal? by Charlie. I say loyal. Is beautiful. Uh, sorry. San Diego Loyal, as Herc would say it. Uh, coming in with a drip in there. Parting shot. Youth game. Western Pennsylvania. Butler, Pennsylvania. The under 11 Butler Lightning. Our guy Dawson Rhodes with the left footed banger there, Herc. <laughs> Off the bounce. Look at this. Stay connected, concentrated, bam, banger. Goalkeeper, mm. I respect the goalie. I actually do. He does a great thing here. He does the right thing here. Don't dive. Show some respect. Dawson's daddy, college teammate of mine. Dawson has been uh, battling some health challenges of late, but seems to have come through them and uh, got the left-footed banger there Let's for go, his Dawson. butler lightning. Way to go uh, to Dawson Rose and the whole Rhodes family. All right, coming up on Thursday, Julia Headley of ESPN Deportes is going to join us to recap the Liga MX Femenil final. Second leg later tonight, Club América against Pachuca. We'll talk that. We will also have continuing coverage from U.S. men's national team camp out in California. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm, I'm Sebi go. Salazar. Thanks for watching, camp. and we'll see you Thursday right here on ESPN+. Plus. Did I mention it's reversible? Yeah, you did.